So now we can start with our Dhamma talk. Let's begin with the Namotasa. Namo tassa bhagavato ahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato ahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato so this morning at the eight thirty seat I have introduced the Buddha Nusati, the contemplation of the Buddha's attributes. The Buddha-nusati being one of the four protective meditations. And in this retreat, we have been practicing these four protective meditations, the loving-kindness meditation, the reflection on death, the reflection on the non-beauty of the body, with the 32 parts of the body. And so Buddha-nusati being another one of these four protective meditations. And as a protective meditation, it can, uh, can protect us against doubt, wavering, indecisiveness. And so the practice and cult- practice of Buddha Nusati the contemplation of the Buddha's attributes strengthens our faith, strengthens our confidence, faith and confidence in the Buddha, in his teaching, but also uh, it strengthens the confidence in our own ability to awaken. And so tonight I want to talk about sata, which is the Pali word for it, talk about confidence, faith, and the role it plays in our search for happiness and peace. One of the books that I have translated from Burmese into English is called the Buddha's Ways to Peace and Happiness. It's this book. Um, it's by Sayadaw Ujjanaka, or Chamye Sayadaw. And so, in here, he writes quite a bit about sadha, confidence. I say a little bit more about it, but first of all, you know, in the title where it says, the Buddha's ways to peace and happiness. So, you know, it's the plural. It's not just one way to achieve peace and happiness, but there are different ways. And so, you know, in the context of the Buddha's teachings, there are many different approaches, many different kinds of practices or aspects where we can practice. And each of these aspects, they uh, lead to peace and happiness, to different levels of peace and happiness, relative levels of being happy and peaceful up to the highest peace and happiness through complete liberation. But already on the way there, by, you know, practicing the different aspects that the Buddha laid out in his practice, we can experience, enjoy um, levels of peace and happiness. So in regard um, to this book, in 1985, Sayadaw Ujjanaka gave 
four lectures at the university in Rangoon. Like to all the students, but also to the teachers, professors, and so on. And so the topic of his lectures was, you know, how the Buddha's teaching can lead to peace and happiness. And Sayadaw divided the Buddha's teaching into four aspects and then explaining how each of these four aspects can lead to uh, peace and happiness, each in their specific way. And basically, each of these four lectures was dealing with one of these four aspects. So the first aspect Saito was talking about was the aspect of confidence, faith. The Pali word is sada. Then the second aspect is ethics. The third one is virtue. And the fourth aspect he talked about is the practice of meditation or the develop, development of the heart and mind. And so, you know, as I said, basically each lecture was, devote, was dealing with one of these four aspects. But, you know, these were talks and so like on the second day, he first would kind of give a summary of what he had talked about on the first day. So on the second day, he would start again with sadha, with uh, virtue, no, with confidence. And then, you know, going uh, on to the second aspect, ethics. On the third day, he was basically talking about virtue, sila, but again he would start his talk um, on sada, on confidence, then talk again on ethics and then go on. And likewise on the fourth day. And so these talks were recorded and afterwards they were transcribed and the talks were given in Burmese, so transcribed and then published as a book. And the Burmese book is really just the transcription of these talks. And then many years later, a Burmese woman, meditator, but also a, a doctor, physical doctor, and actually being Sayadaw's um, private doctor, personal doctor, she translate or made a very rough translation of the Burmese book into English. And so she asked me to have a look. I did. But as I said, you know, um, the Burmese book was this uh, transcription. And so there were lots of repetitions, you know, in connection to confidence, to sada. It was scattered all over the book, you know, a bit of course in the first chapter, but then here again and here again and many repetitions. And I thought, you know, for a Western audience, readers, that wouldn't work. And so I sorted out everything belonging to Sada, confidence, and took out all the repetitions and then everything in regard to ethics and everything to sila, virtue, and everything about the practical aspect, and put it together. And so that's the result, <laughs> this book. And it has been printed um, with dana, donations <coughs> from people, and up in a building uh, in the office or out in the corridor, copies are available, or we will put them out at the end of the retreat, so you can have one if you are interested. So
So coming back to Sada, confidence. Then at the, at the end of the first chapter, dealing with Sada, confidence, it is highlighted that confidence can contribute a lot to our peace and happiness. Of course, it's not yet the final peace and happiness of complete liberation, but already, you know, when Sada is firmly established, one can enjoy a relative level of peace and happiness. And so tonight I'm going to talk about Sada confidence, talk about its characteristic, about its function, its manifestation, and also its place in the Buddha's teaching. <coughs> the Pali word for it is Sada, and this can be translated as confidence, or faith, or also trust, or as a verb it's to entrust, or to rely on something, to depend on something. And in the Buddhist context, Sada refers to having faith or confidence in the Triple Gem. The Triple Gem being the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And I will come back to this. But for us meditators, one aspect of the Triple Gem is very important and relevant. So it's very important to have confidence in the meditation practice or in the method of one's meditation practice. Because only if one has confidence in the method of one's meditation practice does one put um, effort into the practice or only with uh, trust into the practice of meditation will one do the practice wholeheartedly. You know, I was very surprised to find out that even Mahasi Sayadaw had his doubts about the meditation practice he learned from his teacher, his teacher being Mingun Sayadaw or Mingun Chetwan Sayadaw. <coughs> so initially, Mahasi Sayadaw had no confidence, no sada into that method of meditation that his teacher was teaching. So Mahasi Sayadaw said, I myself was a skeptic at one time. I did not like the Satipatthana method as it makes no mention of Nama, Rupa, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, and so forth. But the Sayadaw who taught the method was a learned monk, and so I decided to give it a try. At first, I made little progress because I still had a lingering doubt about the method which, in my view, had nothing to do with ultimate reality. It was only later on, when I had followed the method seriously, that, that its significance dawned on me. I realized then that it is the best method of meditation since it calls for attentiveness to everything that is to be known, leaving no room for absent-mindedness. Isn't this interesting? <laughs> so in this passage, we also learn how Mahasi Saido overcame his doubts, namely by following the method seriously. So this means that he wholeheartedly put the method into practice and thereby realized personally 
how effective this method was. So it was through his personal and direct experience that he overcame his doubts. And this was also my experience when I first met Sayadaw Ujjanaka, being a student of Mahasi Sayadaw. And when I was instructed to do all the daily activities very mindfully and very slowly. For three days I resisted the instruction uh, because I had doubts about this method. I had done meditation retreats before and so I was not a beginner. Uh, I thought maybe it was good for beginners, but me as a quite experienced meditator and in none of the other retreats was I ever told to slow down my activities. So I strongly resisted um, his instructions. But then, after three days, uh, after a very personal remark uh, in regard to the practice and the slowing down, I thought, well, maybe I better give it a try. <laughs> you know, if it is helpful and effective, all the better. If not, then at least um, I could say it based on my personal experience. So then, I wholeheartedly put his advice of slowing down into practice, and I was amazed um, to see the profound and insightful effects it had on my practice. Not to speak of deepening of my concentration that was really quite remarkable. So, you know, my doubts had been just intellectual thoughts. I could have never imagined, you know, that this simple slowing down of activities would have such a deep impact, and such a beneficial uh, impact. A Tibetan um, Buddhist master had said in regard to confidence and trust, and it was Tulku Urgen Rinpoche, he said, trust in the teachings of the Buddha means pure appreciation. Honestly, it is completely amazing that through a few words of teaching, we can feel a difference. And I would say we can feel a huge difference. So sada, confidence or trust, is a mental factor that belongs to certain groups of mental factors. You know, sada is one factor of the five mental faculties, or it's also a part of the group of the five mental powers. As I've said in the beginning, sada means to have confidence or trust in the triple gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And so this morning I have mentioned the nine attributes of the Buddha which form the basis for the contemplation of the Buddha's attributes. You know, generally we can say the Buddha is the one who knows or the Buddha is one who is awake. As I explained this morning, Buddha, this word actually means awake. And as an attribute, uh, it's the awakened one, the Buddha as the awakened one. So, what does the Buddha know, or to what has he awakened? He knows things as they are. 
He knows the Four Noble Truths. He knows the natural laws, the natural laws of the universe. He also knows and understands dependent origination or causality. He knows and understands karma, intentional actions and its results or effects. And so the Buddha knows all this based on his own personal and direct experience. He has not come to know these things based on um, thinking or speculation or analyzing or pondering over things. Then in regard to have confidence in the Dhamma, Dhamma, this word has different meanings. Dhamma, you know, stands for everything that exists, all existing phenomena. It also stands for the universal laws. And because the Buddha's teaching is all about to understand everything as it is, uh, is about to understand the universal laws. That's why his teaching had been called the Dhamma. So having confidence in the Dhamma. And then to have confidence in the Sangha. Sangha means uh, basically the community. It can have the specific meaning of the community of the ordained monastics, nuns and monks. In a more general sense, it means the community of those who practice the Dhamma, so monastics and lay people alike. So all those who practice the Dhamma in order to understand things as they really are, in order uh, to develop wisdom, compassion and kindness, or in order to become free from all kinds of suffering. So Sada, in the Triple Gem, in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And it's also said that the Triple Gem is a reliable refuge. That's why, you know, when we take refuge, we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Like every morning we do that before we recite the nine precepts. And these refugees um, are also worthy of respect, of um, honoring them. Now to the characteristic of sadha, or confidence. It is said that the characteristic of sadha is that of placing faith in something, or it's trusting, or having confidence. To give you a worldly example, many years ago as a backpacker, I was traveling in Indonesia. And together with my friend Yannick, we wanted to climb Merapi, one of the big volcanoes uh, in Indonesia. So we stayed at the guest house at the foot of Merapi and the owner of the guest house uh, in the evening before we went up climbing Merapi, um, he draws a little map and telling you know where we had to go because there was no kind of uh, way that had signs everywhere. Um, 
so he told us the landmarks and where to go, turn right, turn left, and be careful of this and uh, careful of that. And so then the next morning at 4 a.m., we set out with his little hand-drawn map. And so we were following his instructions, his guidance. And, you know, because he had uh, gone up to Merapi many, many times, he was very familiar with the terrain, where to go. So that's why we could fully uh, trust him that his directions would be correct, that they would guide us uh, the right way. So we were, you know, placing our faith in his map, in his uh, directions. And likewise, you know, after my initial doubts about the instructions from Saito Ujanaka, um, after I had overcome these doubts through direct personal experience, then after that I really had complete confidence in Saito Ujanaka's meditation instructions and guidance because I realized that, yes, he had walked his path before himself. And so he knew what he was talking about. The Buddha also pointed out that confidence must be trust in something that is worthy of trust, worthy of confidence. And what is worthy of trust and confidence? Very generally speaking, it is uh, something that brings beneficial results for us and others. Sada, confidence, it must be based with wisdom or panya. Panya is another uh, factor uh, belonging to the group of the five mental faculties. So sada and panya, they must be balanced. Then the function of sada, the function of sada, of confidence, is to clarify the mind, to make the mind clear. So true faith, true confidence, has the capacity to make the mind clear and bright. In the scriptures, the commentaries to the Buddha's, to the Buddhist texts, the following comparison is used to describe faith. It said, It is like the water purifying gem that clarifies water. So if one puts this water purifying gem into dirty or murky water, then the water is cleansed or clarified and so the water becomes clear. And likewise, likewise, let's say a person is overcome with uh, anger or has strong craving. And if that person, you know, has uh, confidence into the triple gem and maybe pays respect to the Buddha, a Buddha statue, then by expressing this confidence, uh, the mind uh, becomes in immediately very clear and uh, pure. And so with that, the anger or the craving is gone, and with the anger and craving gone, and the mind being pure and clear, so then the person feels happy, 
or peaceful or calm. Or when we engage in wholesome beneficial actions, this can also um, make our mind clear. You know, doing these wholesome actions as an expression of our sata, of our confidence. You know, the confidence that such actions actually are beneficial and um, helpful on our path of purifying our heart and mind. You know, this can be actions like practicing dana, practicing generosity, or it can be offering flowers or water um, on a shrine uh, to the Buddha or at the pagoda. Or it can be listening to a Dhamma talk. So any of these, you know, sata-based activities um, have the potential to clear the mind, to make it clear. And so, you know, genuine confidence gives definitely rise to beneficial results and in this way it leads to um, relative degree of happiness and peace. And the manifestation of confidence, the manifestation of sada, is the direct outcome of its function. Because true and genuine faith, confidence, make the mind clear and bright, so then the mind is no longer foggy, no longer muddled, no longer obscured. And so it is said that the non-fogginess and the non-obscuration of the mind is the manifestation of sadha. And lastly, in regard to the proximate cause of sadha, the proximate cause of Confidence is something worthy of confidence, something worthy of faith. And as I said, you know, the Buddha and many sages throughout the centuries have said that the triple gem is something worthy of faith. You know, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. They are. worthy of faith and a reliable means for the purification of our heart and mind. In the scriptures it is said that there are four kinds of sada or four levels of faith or trust. So these four levels are, the first level is called initial faith or serene uh, sada, serene faith. The second level is firm faith through understanding the Dhamma. And this understanding of the Dhamma can come about uh, through reading, studying the Dhamma, like more an intellectual understanding, or it can come about through personal experience. The third level is called unshakable faith, through experiential knowledge of the Dhamma. And then the fourth level is the faith coming with the declaration of Buddhahood.
So I will go through these four levels of uh, sada and explain them a little bit more. So the first level is serene faith or initial faith. And it is this kind of faith at the outset of our practice when we start um, on this spiritual journey. You know, somehow there is this immediate connection to something, immediate connection to something about the teaching. You know, somehow it makes sense or uh, somehow it addresses our deepest yearning. Or else uh, we are inspired. We are inspired by a teacher. Um, The way he behaves or the way she is or their actions or else the inspiration can also come through a book or through an article we have read. Or sometimes this initial faith can also come about through the encouragement of somebody, the encouragement of a friend or a teacher or a therapist. You know, for example, one of my brothers, he was encouraged to do a meditation retreat by his uh, therapist when he went through a very uh, rough phase in his life. And my brother had never meditated before, but with that encouragement, he decided um, to go to Burma. At the time I was uh, living in Burma, he decided to, to go to Burma, where his sister was, mm-hmm. and do one month of meditation, you know, never having done any retreat before. So he came to Burma and did his one month of meditation. Very beneficial for him. And as a nice side effect of that um, retreat was the fact that he, um, after a little while after the retreat, he stopped being a stutterer. You know, he had been a stutterer all his life long, basically. But then, after the retreat, it disappeared. So his initial faith, you know, must have been quite strong to go to Burma and just uh, dive into a one-month meditation retreat. In regard to this initial phase or serene phase, you know, let's take the example, a person does not know whether the soil is fertile or not. But, you know, if a seed is planted in fertile soil, then it will grow and it can produce a nice flower or a nice apple tree. And likewise, even if a person does not fully understand the attributes of the triple gem, but has this kind of serene faith, initial faith in the triple gem, then this person can still gain beneficial results and experience a certain level of happiness. Of peace. So, as a first step, this initial faith is needed to set out on the journey. You know, it's this openness of the heart and mind, it's this willingness to try out something new. Then the second level of faith is firm faith. Firm faith through understanding the Dhamma. 
as I said, either theoretically, intellectually, or through some personal uh, experience, practice. So based on the initial faith, then one's confidence will grow through personal and direct experience. And so in this way, faith becomes stronger and also more deeply rooted. Because when we experience something ourselves, directly and personally, that leaves the deepest imprints on our heart, on our mind. And so this um, has the greatest power for inner transformation. So when our um, faith is based on some personal experience of the Dhamma or based on some better intellectual understanding of the Dhamma, then it becomes firm faith. This firm faith can also become um, quite it can become too strong or it can become quite <coughs> overboarding. And this happens especially at the fourth stage of insight knowledge. That's the insight knowledge of seeing the arising and passing away <coughs> of phenomena. And um, during that stage, a meditator goes through a series of very uplifting and exciting experiences. For example, the body and the mind, they feel very light. <coughs> Great joy arises. Or one also uh, sees all different kinds of lights mentally. You know, bright yellow light may appear, bright blue light may appear, white light may appear. So it can be quite something like a light show. <laughs> and, of course, also the arising and passing away of phenomena is experienced very clearly. Uh, it's very distinct. And, you know, the, the mind at that stage feels quite happy and uplifted. And usually there are very few uh, bodily pains or bodily uh, discomfort. And so, in that phase, um, during that stage, one has the impression that the happiness one is experiencing is far better than any happiness one has ever experienced before in one's life. And so, as a result of these experiences, one's faith becomes really very strong, too strong at times. When I went through this phase in my practice, you know, then I spent hours <laughs> of explaining my families and my, my family and my friends how good this practice was. And, you know, that was going on in my mind, sitting on the cushion or doing walking meditation, you know, uh, encouraging and urging them to also take up the practice of meditation or even, uh, you know, organizing for them to attend a retreat in Switzerland. So it was just an expression of the faith being extremely strong or too strong. And of course, you know, in the during the med meditation retreat, such thoughts um, are to be treated just like any other thoughts. They are just thoughts, and so one should be not uh, one should be mindful of these thoughts and note them, being very vigilant to really note each of these thoughts. Otherwise as I've experienced, you know, I could go on an hour or so and... <laughs>
but you know this uh, phase uh, seeing the arising and passing away of phenomena very clearly in one's practice is a phase in one's practice and uh, you know this passes and then uh, it turns into something else and so then when one you know has passed through this um, stage again you know faith is still very present um, firm faith but not overboarding anymore now another form uh, that can arise is to have excessive faith some people or some meditators have a very strong faith but this is more based on intellectual understanding or reasoning so in other words it's a kind of blind faith or blind excessive faith and so they think that to have such firm and strong faith is enough to reach the goal without making an appropriate effort. For example, many years ago when I was in Burma, we had once a meditator who came back to the center in Burma. He had been there the year before. And um, when he came for the second time, he told me that um, he would stay at the center and practice until he had reached his goal. Later later on I found out that his goal was to become a stream enterer, reaching the first uh, stage of enlightenment. And so upon arrival uh, he also told me that he had made pilgrimages to many Buddhist sites Buddhist sites in in India as Bodhgaya, where the Buddha attained uh, Buddhahood, um, the Deer Park in Sanat, where he had his first discourse, Lumbini, where he was born, Kusinara, where he passed away, but that he also went, you know, on pilgrimage to other holy Buddhist sites in Thailand, visiting uh, Angkor Wat, big temple in Cambodia, visiting Borobudur in Indonesia, or the Shvedagon Pagoda in Yangon in Burma. And then he went on to say that he also had taken courses in Abhidhamma, which made him well-versed in Buddhist philosophy. And as it turned out, his faith was obviously excessive. Uh, it was not really grounded in actual practice. And so this excessive faith did not really help him in his actual meditation practice. On the contrary, it rather proved to be a stumbling block in his uh, practice to make progress. But then on the other side, faith can also be too weak. And this often happens with meditators who have strong opinions or um, have just an intellectual understanding of the Buddha's teaching or uh, the method of meditation. So having strong opinions about the Buddha's teaching in general or having strong opinions in regard to a certain uh, method of meditation in particular. And so if their intellectual knowledge is too strong and too dominant, then these kind of people get stuck in their own 
limited reasoning faculties. And being stuck in their opinions, then they do not show much interest in trying out something new or something different. And so because they don't give it a try, then they have not the opportunity to get a personal direct first-hand experience. What could be helpful in such a case is devotion. In German, the word is Hingabe, so to give yourself to something. So to fully give yourself into something or to fully immerse yourself in something. And you know, as I told you, this is what I did at this first retreat with Sayadaw Ujjanaka. I opened myself up and gave myself fully into this practice of slowing down my activities. The third level of sada is the unshakable faith. So eventually, the second level, the firm faith, transforms into unshakable faith. And at this time, our sada into the teachings, into the practice, is so strong that it becomes unshakable. Nothing or nobody can make us waver. It no longer have any doubts about the effectiveness of the practice. We no longer have any doubts about the fact that liberation can be reached. So then there is this confidence that, yes, complete liberation can be realized. It's possible. So this kind of faith, this unshakable faith, arises at the first stage of enlightenment, so at stream entry. Because with that experience of stream entry, one catches a first glimpse of Nibbana, of the unconditioned. And so, because one catches a glimpse, one experiences it it directly by oneself, then one knows for sure that this exists, that one is able to experience it. And so with that, faith, sada, becomes unshakable, cannot be shaken uh, anymore. The fourth level of faith is that that kind of faith that arises with the prophecy that one would become a Buddha. And this kind of faith does not happen very often. On the contrary, it happens only very rarely. Uh, Once every four incalculables and a hundred thousand worlds. (laughs) (laughs) I try to explain, you know, give you a glimpse of what that could mean with the simile of the little bird um, sharpening its beak on the biggest mountain. Um, So, you know, this is the kind of faith that arises in a bodhisattva when um, somebody receives the prophecy saying that, you know, in the distant future that person would become the Buddha. So the Buddha to be the bodhisattva. That's the kind of faith that arises in a bodhisattva. So there is no need to go further into this because I think nobody in here is concerned with this kind of faith. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) 
Sometimes there, there is. <laughs> Maybe we have kind of an, you know, that's in the Theravada uh, tradition. Um, they refer to as the Bodhisattva. Um, so we have maybe an officially recognized Theravadan Bodhisattva in here. <laughs> then another aspect in regard to Sada is to make sure that a Sada doesn't become blind faith. That one does not become credulous. So we should always use our common sense when opening up to a new teaching, a new uh, meditation practice. Many of you may know a famous discourse that the Buddha gave to the people living in Kalama. People know it as the Kalama Sutta. These people living in Kalama at the time of the Buddha, they had many wandering ascetics, hermits, spiritual teachers, monks coming through their village, each of them uh, telling them their teaching, their doctrine, each of them telling them that theirs was the correct one, that was the true one. And so the people in Kalama were confused, like whom should they believe? Or how could they decide whether a teaching was true and beneficial or not? And so then when the Buddha came through Kalama, the people approached him, told him told him what they were experiencing, and so asked for some advice. And this is the advice that the Buddha gave. Do not simply believe what you hear just because you heard it for a long time. Do not follow tradition blindly merely because it has been practiced in that way by many generations. Do not be quick to listen to rumors. Do not confirm anything just because it conforms to your scriptures. Do not be fooled by outward appearances. Do not be convinced of anything out of respect to your spiritual teacher. And then the Buddha went on to say that they should go beyond opinion and belief. And he explained that they should reject anything which, when practiced, leads to more greed, more anger, and to more delusion. Because greed, anger, and delusion do not depend on belief. They exist independently of any belief, and they are commonly condemned. They are not beneficial, and greed, anger, delusion are to be avoided. But then on the other hand, the Buddha said, they should accept anything which, when practiced, leads to contentment, to unconditional love, and to wisdom. Contentment, unconditional love, and wisdom, they are beneficial beneficial for oneself, beneficial for others. They do not depend on belief. And so these qualities should be developed. And then, and often this is not mentioned when talking about this sutta, the Buddha also added this. He said, When you know yourselves, these things are good, blameless, praised by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things lead to benefit and happiness, then enter on them and abide in them. 
So, you know, this phrase where the Buddha said, these things are good, blameless, praised by the wise. So the criteria is not only our own personal direct experience, but we should also listen to what the wise, wise people say. But again, also here we must use our common sense to discern who a wise person is. Because we know there are many so-called wise persons around in this world. Sometimes some of them not more than charlatans or very thrifty spiritual businessmen or women. So when we come in contact with a new doctrine, a new method, so this should be the criteria. Faith or confidence should always be based on our own personal direct experience and on the confirmation of a wise person. At times when we lack sada, when we lack faith, confidence, or when it is very weak, you know, sometimes it could be helpful to have something that strengthens our sada, something that is like a sada booster that boosts our confidence, our faith. And to me, such a sada booster is to read inspiring stories about accomplished practitioners or teachers. You know, it can be reading about the Buddha's life or reading about the life of um, the Buddha's disciples. There are some books out there. Or reading the Theragatas, the Terigatas. These are the verses by uh, some of the nuns and monks at the time of the Buddha, in which they described basically their life, what they did, how they came in contact with the teachings of the Buddha, how they practiced, and then how they uh, became enlightened. Very inspiring um, accounts. Or else, you know, even in our present day, there are accomplished uh, people, practitioners. So we could read biographies about their life, practice, and teaching, just to name a couple uh, of them. One is Venerable Tenzin Palmo, or Chetsunma Tenzin Palmo, the English nun ordained in the Tibetan tradition. And one very inspiring book about her and her practice is called Cave in the Snow. You know, she has practiced like 12 years in a cave up in the Himalayas. Very inspiring, I found. Or another book that I found incredibly inspiring is the book about Deepa Ma, an accomplished practitioner, a woman born in Bengal, East Bengal, what is nowadays Bangladesh, and then having moved with her husband to Yangon, to Burma. She had an incredibly challenging and difficult life, and her health was not good, and she was on the verge of death when she finally, you know, her life circumstances didn't allow that she went off to practice meditation in in a center. Although she was, you know, born into a Buddhist family and uh, she practiced sila and dana, things like that. But her really strong wish was to go off and meditate, but then her husband did not allow her to go and her health and so on. So basically, 
um, when her health was so bad and the doctors, you know, did not see much hope. She said, okay, now I go to the meditation center at least. Uh, then I die there, meditating. But then instead of dying, she made this incredible um, progress and um, deep realizations. And with that, her health you know, got better and she became a teacher. You know, Western teachers like Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, they had um, practiced with Deepama. So, a book on her life um, is called Knee Deep in Grace. And they have it here in the office. So, at the end of the retreat, you could get it there if you're interested. So I will end this talk with the words of Achan Cha, a wise being and a gifted Dhamma teacher who has passed away some years ago. He said, In my own search, I tried nearly every possible means of contemplation. I sacrificed my life for the Dhamma, because I had faith in the reality of enlightenment and the path leading to it. These things do actually exist, just like the Buddha said they did. But to realize them takes courage. Yes, it takes courage to step out of one's comfort zone and to dare into new or unfamiliar territory. So let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.